Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Watchdog's Bark. My name is Drew, and I am your watchdog. In my last episode, we talked about what is happening to the education system K through 12, kindergarten through 12th grade. In this episode, we're going to give you a little more detail of what happened in our universities and colleges. You know, everyone says that critical race theory and gender theory and all these things are not taught in our grade schools, only in our universities and colleges. And while that's definitely not true, we have proof otherwise, I want to explain where this came from. You know, we've got critical race theory and all these different other theories, but they all basically were born from a theory that was created by a bunch of psychologists and philosophers in Germany in the 1920s and 30s at Frankfurt University. Ironically, about 1933, the Nazis actually forced its closure at the Institute, and it was moved to the United States of America, where it found a home in Columbia University. This critical theory was basically started by uh, Max Horkheimer uh, and Herbert Marcuse and other philosophers and scientists at that time. Uh, And then in the 1970s, a second generation of critical theorists came forward, like uh, led by Jürgen Habermas, and uh, that was through the Frankfurt School, but it turned global at that time. And then uh, Richard Bernstein uh, was a philosopher that really picked it up and grew uh, its influence all over the United States, starting from New York City. These individuals wanted to understand society based on what categories they could put everybody in. And in the past, it was the haves and the have-nots, the rich and the poor, much like uh, Karl Marx did with his book, uh, The Communist Manifesto. He did the same thing. The proletariat were the working people, and the bourgeois were the elites, and he was trying to teach and get the proletariat to rise up against the bourgeois and take over. As a matter of fact, if you want to read books that help you help explain critical theory and uh, Marxist and communist ideologies, there are two books that you should definitely read. Number one is The Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx, and the other one is Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. Uh, Many of the progressive leaders, uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, all the, all praise Saul Alinsky and consider him a mentor. Let me just give you a taste of what they are talking about. And these are eight levels of control that must be obtained to bring about socialism. Let me know if it sounds kind of familiar. All right. Number one. Healthcare. Control healthcare and you control the people. Poverty. Increase the poverty level as high as possible. Poor people are easier to control and will, fi- and will not fight back if you are providing everything for them to live. Huh. Number three, debt. Increase the debt to an unsustainable level. That way you are able to increase taxes and this will produce more poverty. Number four, 
gun control. Remove the ability to defend themselves from the government. That way you are able to create a police state. Number five, welfare. Take control of every aspect of their lives. Food, housing, income, etc. Number six, education. Take control of what people read and listen to. Take control of what children learn in school. Number seven, religion. Remove the belief in God from the government and schools. And number eight, class warfare. Divide the people into the wealthy and the poor. This will cause more discontent and it will be easier to take or tax the wealthy with support of the poor. I don't know about you, but uh, this sounds kind of like what's happening today. Now compare that to what Karl Marx put in his Communist Manifesto. He has seven rules that he thinks are necessary to bring about communism. Okay, this is a very small step between socialism and communism. Listen to this. Number one, abolition of property. Mm -hmm. Number two, heavy progressive taxes. Number three, abolition of inheritance. Number four, confiscation of property and all emigrants and rebels. Number five, central banking. Number six, state-controlled communication and transportation. And number seven, state-controlled education of children. Interesting how that's in both Rules for Radicals and the Communist Manifesto, huh? Control education of the children. Gosh, that kind of sounds important for the socialists and communists. So you, now you know where critical theory comes from, all right, and what is around it. Now let's talk about critical race theory. This was a theory a lot of people don't understand theory, like global warming theory, <laughs> critical race theory, all these things. And they, they implement them and teach people as if they're gospel and they're not. So the critical race theory basically created what's what's called equity. OK, everyone I believe in the world is all for equal opportunity. Well, unless you're in a communist country, then that's not true. But all the freedom-loving countries want equal opportunity for everyone. Well, critical race theory basically looks at everything as racist and makes adjustments so that we can have equity. You see, progressives love to control the narrative. And they just slyly changed the narrative that everybody was talking about from equal opportunity or equality to equity. Equity means equality in outcome. That is an impossible task because no two people work the same. No two people have the same intelligence. No two people have the same background. No two people have the same work ethic. That is 
absolutely impossible to bring about. But they're trying to. And that's one of the main tenets of Black Lives Matter. Okay, and the leader all admitted on camera that they are trained Marxists. Okay, so keep that in mind. Then you've got uh, people like um, Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote a book called How to Be Anti-Racist. And that's basically looks at everything as racist, like automatically ingrained. And so we have to dismantle everything and pull the racism out of it. Okay, then you've got a woman by the name of Robin D'Angelo who wrote White Fragility. And it's not, the whole book is not a question of is there racism or did it take place, but rather looks at everything as there automatically is racism. And then we have to understand how it got this way. Okay, so these are implicit biases in the way we look. And a lot of people look through these lenses. You know, there's a, a famous saying with uh, motivational speakers uh, is what you focus on expands. Those that are focusing on racism everywhere they look are going to see it because it expands. It, they see it in everything. Even things that aren't racist start to look racist to people that only look through racist lenses. All right, so critical race theory divides the population instead of like critical theory. It divides the population by race. Uh, the critical theory divided by uh, income, you know, the poor and the, and the rich. But critical race theory divides everyone by race. You, if you are born white or white adjacent, I guess they call it, where there are other races that are pretty white, uh, then you are automatically an oppressor. And if you were born black or black adjacent, <laughs> um, you are automatically oppressed. And like I said in the last podcast, what a horrible way to raise children or to teach children that they either have to feel guilty for the way they were born or not try in life because life is stacked against them. Another big influence in critical race theory and Black Lives Matter is a paper published in the New York Times by Nicole Hannah-Jones called The 1619 Project. And its basic premise was that U.S. history should really have started in 1619 when the first slave ship landed here on this continent. And there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, in 1619, this was a British colony. And actually, slavery only existed in the United States of America for 70 years. And if we focus on Jamestown in 1619, we really dilute the scourge that slavery has been worldwide. And we're putting a harder emphasis on the fact that some colonists here on this continent had African-American slaves. Uh, incidentally, they also had Irish slaves, and some uh, black 
slave owners existed here in this country too. So this whole thing of reparations would get very convoluted if you have to go back into everyone's ancestry and figure out who deserves those reparations. As a matter of fact, every single person listening to the sound of my voice, if you go back in your ancestry somewhere, they were slaves. It doesn't matter what color you are. Uh, because at one point or another, every civilization was a slave to another. You know, we know the Jews were the slaves to the Egyptians. Oh, as a matter of fact, the, the word slave came from the Slavs, the Slavic. They were enslaved by uh, Muslims. And that's why that word came about, was slavery. It was the Slavics. And there is white as snow uh, that were the original slaves. All right, that covers one theory. Then you have the gender theory. And that basically set, divides everyone by gender. But this one gets really crazy and convoluted because gender is now considered a social construct. Uh, no. Uh, there are only men and women, period. Even the ones that have changed their sexual organs still have the chromosomes of either a male or a female. As a matter of fact, let's look at it this way. After you are dead and buried hundreds of years from then, if someone digs up your skeleton they're going to say you were either a male or a female. There's not going to be non-binary and all these different types of genders. There's going to be two genders. You either had the skeletal structure of a man or the skeletal structure of a woman. Period. That's it. That's all there are. Uh, to say more than that, and, and what's crazy to me is... People within the last 10, 15 years, I think this, this theory has come about. So they're convinced that over tens of thousands of years that the human race has existed on the earth and only had male and female, that somehow people today are smarter and were able to figure out that, no, there's hundreds of of genders. It just depends on what you want to identify as. So these two theories, critical race theory and gender theory, were born from critical theory. And all of these were a graduate college level way of trying to understand. And in the name of equity, we are changing things in our education system to make the students dumber. I know that's hard to say, uh, and I'm sure it's hard to believe, but it's true. By, the, by, by polluting young minds with all of these different theories and saying that they're all real and telling a boy that you can be a girl and a girl you can be a boy— and, you know, the furries I talked about. Incidentally, a friend pointed out the fact that there uh, are some 
schools that are fighting back and saying they don't have litter boxes in the bathroom. So we'll, let's, we'll just say there are no litter boxes. But I do know there are furries. I've seen videos of classrooms and some students dressed in their fursuits and their tails and their little cat ears and meowing in class. So I do know that exists, and I don't know how pervasive it is, but if it's one or two classrooms of a special education school uh, and you're, you're talking, uh, you know, mentally handicapped and challenged people, then fine. But honestly, I feel people that believe that they're someone of the opposite gender, it's called gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria basically is a psychological belief that you are in the wrong body. And it is a psychological disorder. It's very similar to body integrity identity disorder or BIID. These people really believe that they will be happier if they didn't have their left arm or their right foot or something like that. They actually believe they were born wrong, that something was wrong and they should have been born with only one arm or only one leg or all that. This is the same category we put we need to put gender dysphoria in. When someone is a boy or a girl and they think they are the opposite sex, it is a clinical disorder that has been identified and there is therapy for. However, transgenderism has become popular. Uh, the reason why I can say that is the people that experience true gender dysphoria represent approximately 0.005% of the population in the world. Yet, in Gen Z, you have some classrooms where 20 to 30% of the students are identifying as transgender. So it's a fad. Sadly, it's being embraced by adults who should know better and the medical community who should definitely know better. As a matter of fact, there's a couple of university medical centers who have stopped doing double mastectomies on minor girls, which means they were doing them. If they had to stop doing them, that means they were doing them. And sometimes without their parents' permission. Remember in the last time I talk, talked about the real goal of uh, what's happening in our education is to break the children, not only break them mentally, but break them away from their parents? Uh, the administrators and medical professionals are painting parents as homophobic and uh, not accepting of their child. As a matter of fact, I've heard that parents have had child protective services called on them and had the parents arrested and the children 
taken by Child Protective Services if the parents didn't go along with their child's new identity. This is 2020 United States of America. This stuff is happening. This is not 1930s Germany or communist China. This is the United States of America. This stuff is happening. So that's really all I wanted to talk about uh, according to what's going on in our college. It's definitely not everything. I could spend hours giving you detail after detail after detail. What I really hope is happening is you're listening to this and you are curious enough yourself to go do research. I, like I said, I want to start a conversation. If you disagree with me, write me. If you agree with me, write me. Uh, my, my email is drew at the watchdogsbark.com. My goal is in the future, I don't have to really research topics because you're sending me topics to research. I love to research things. That's one of my all absolute joys. And so I really do want everyone to start participating and start writing me because I welcome absolutely all comments. And I do love to debate, too. Uh, eventually, I hope to have live uh, episodes of this and maybe even have a phone number. You can call in and talk to me. But I, I want to debate. I want to open up this discussion so we can start talking openly about these things because we need to. The censorship brigade is getting way too much power. I'm really actually very excited about Elon Musk said he's going to release all the information about the algorithms and the methods used to suppress the information about Hunter Biden's laptop before the 2020 election. I absolutely do believe that was influential and that social media through their algorithms and censorship and media and their censorship, I believe the scales were tilted. The scales were definitely tipped in Joe Biden's favor. Uh, social media and the media and corporate America and all that all had their thumbs on that scale. Some of the social media companies like Google, uh, the Gmail and Google actually suppressed campaign fundraising emails that went out from conservative candidates. So do we really have free and fair elections? I don't think so. All right. A couple things I want to talk about really quickly. First of all, uh, recently, the U.S. and other countries have promised to pay over a billion dollars to poorer countries and climate reparations. So think about this. The U.S. and other industrialized nations must pay climate reparations to poor countries to prevent them from developing their own resources and economies. Basically, we want poor countries to depend on welfare. Isn't that really about control? I mean, there's a reason why there's a sign in Yellowstone Park that says, Don't feed the bears. It's not because it's uh, dangerous, or it probably is, but that's not the reason for the sign. The reason for the sign is the bears will become dependent on food and won't go out and fight and get food their own. So that's basically 
what we're doing when we're paying people welfare for long periods of time and paying these climate reparations to these countries that could develop their own energy sources and develop their own economies. But we want to apparently stop that and prevent that from happening through climate reparations, otherwise known as welfare. All right, the other thing I want to talk about, and this is really serious, uh, if you are on TikTok or your kids are on TikTok, get off. Delete the app and don't ever go back. The parent company of TikTok, ByteDance, is a China-owned company, and members of its board of directors are high members of the CCP. And what you don't know is all the time you have that app open, even in the background, and I know, you know, we all open apps and then open another app and then open another app and open another app. And it's not until the end of the day where we swipe up, swipe up, swipe up and close all these apps, right? Well, all the time TikTok is open on your phone, even in the background. The Chinese government has access to your microphone, your camera, your GPS, they record every keystroke you make, they record every website you visit, and it's all recorded. And coming up soon is a thing called TikTok Marketplace. On that marketplace, they're going to be able to sell your private information to the highest bidder. Donald Trump was right. TikTok is a threat to national security. So if you are on TikTok, and if you have children on TikTok, please get off of, those, of that app and delete it from your phone. Also, another thing just here in the US, I personally have deleted Google off of every device I own because Google does the same thing here in the US. They track everything. And we have proof of that. I mean, how many times have you had a conversation with a friend about, I don't know, headphones or, or stuffed animals or something like that? And then all of a sudden, when you're on social media, guess what ads come up? Things you were interested because they had access to your microphone. Also, on the Google search engine, they regulate and control which information you see first. Most of the conservative and uh, Republican and um, Christian and different kinds of sites like that will come up really far down in a search. And Google determines what you see on that front page. I know this because I had a job selling Google ad space where if a company paid enough money, we could guarantee they'd be on the top 10 search. So when someone typed in, uh, I don't know, vinyl siding or uh, roofing, house roofing, uh, your company would come up in that first five to 10 uh, searches. So Google can be bought. And also, their liberal staffers 
love to censor conservative information. So you're not getting the top searches and everything when you go to Google. You're getting what Google wants you to see when you're searching for a certain topic. Okay, uh, in the next episode, I'm going to talk about what is happening on our southern border. And of course, this is the U.S. Uh, this is going to be a very serious and a little dark and disturbing what's really going on. Uh, it is on purpose. Uh, I can tell you that as a little teaser. And I can show you how and why uh, things are happening on our southern border and how basically we have a wide open southern border. I know uh, Mayorkas says, no, no, we have a secure border and we're working very hard to secure it more. Baloney. As, and as a matter of fact, I hope uh, Alejandro Mayorkas either resigns or does get impeached. And then lastly, as I always like to do, I want to end on a high note. And this time I'm going to do something a little different. I think it's necessary for us to understand who true heroes are. So I wanted to end this podcast reading to you a Medal of Honor citation. I got this idea from Jesse Kelly at the Jesse Kelly Show, and uh, I think it's fantastic. He reads it on Medal of Honor Monday, and uh, I want to end this podcast with a Medal of Honor citation that's actually quite close and personal because uh, it's about Audie Murphy. He was one of the most decorated uh, infantrymen in World War II. And interestingly, my father got a chance to fly with him. Uh, when Audie Murphy left the military, he developed a heart condition that didn't allow him to fly without another licensed pilot in the plane. So my father got the uh, opportunity to fly with Audie Murphy and got a chance to talk with him and meet him. So uh, this one's a little special for me. This is the Medal of Honor for Audie Murphy. Second Lieutenant Murphy commanded Company B, which was attacked by six tanks and waves of infantry. Second Lieutenant Murphy ordered his men to withdraw to prepare positions in the woods while he remained forward at his command post and continued to give fire directions to artillery by telephone. Behind him to the right, one of our tank destroyers received a direct hit and began to burn. Its crew withdrew to the woods. Second Lieutenant Murphy continued to direct artillery fire, which killed large numbers of the advancing enemy infantry. With the enemy tanks abreast of his position, Second Lieutenant Murphy climbed on the burning tank destroyer, which was in danger of blowing up at any moment, and employed its 50 caliber machine gun against the enemy. He was alone and exposed to German fire from three sides, but his deadly fire killed dozens of Germans and caused their infantry attack to waver. The enemy tanks losing infantry support began to fall back. For an hour, the Germans tried every available weapon to eliminate 2nd Lieutenant Murphy, but he continued to hold his position and wiped out a squad which was trying to creep up unnoticed on his right flank. Germans reached as close as 10 yards only to be mowed down by his fire. He received a leg wound but ignored it and continued the single-handed fight until his ammunition was exhausted. He then made his way to his company, 
refuse medical attention, and organized the company in a counterattack, which forced the Germans to withdraw. His directing of artillery fire wiped out many of the enemy. He killed or wounded about 50. Second Lieutenant Murphy's indomitable courage and his refusal to give an inch of ground saved his company from possible encirclement and destruction and enabled it to hold the woods which he had been the enemy's objective. That, my friends, is a badass and a true American hero. And with that, I want to thank you again for tuning in. Please tune in next week. Again, the title will be What is Happening on Our Southern Border. And until next week, create an amazing day.